Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. So the aim of this uh, adversarial system is to make sure that at the end, I am uh, developing, uh, I am uh, building uh, towards uh, sentence embeddings that are specifically focused on the context so that the classification of uh, the text being hateful is uh, as accurate as possible. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real-world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Women Who Code podcast. This is Sarah. I'm a PhD student based out of India. And in today's session, we will be talking about various aspects of detecting and mitigating bias in online toxic speech detection systems and how those biases uh, live at the intersection of gender and bias, uh, gender bias as well as racial bias. So as I uh, was telling, I'm a PhD student based out of India. I am a member of the Laboratory for Computational Social Systems, LCS2 for short. And we study various aspects of natural language processing and social computing. Within that uh, broad area of social computing, my work specifically focuses on analyzing different aspects of hate speech, uh, how to detect it, how it is spreading, what are the various uh, biases that exist within uh, these systems, how do we uh, make the toxic uh, speech detection systems more robust. Uh, Now, when I talk about the theme of bias in toxicity detection, there are two aspects that we need to cover. First, what is meant by toxicity? And second, how do we define presence and mitigate the presence of uh, bias in toxicity detection models? So hate speech, as we know, has existed within the human community for as long as our civilization dates dates back. So the presence of some form of stereotypes or hateful content has always existed in the real world. We see discrimination and bias happening all the time. And with the online world, those same stereotypes and biases get amplified. So Cognitively speaking, some biases help us because they help us make decisions faster. They are important for our uh, our evolution as a species. However, just because they help us reach a decision faster doesn't mean that biases help us filter the right information and help us make correct decisions all the time. But when our biased interactions in the online world are, you know, used as a source of uh, data to train the machine learning models, the machine learning models pick on these uh, bias cues. They basically do statistical sampling of the data that is provided and try to develop, uh, you know, patterns to discriminate different classes. And if we have certain stereotypes that get reinforced again and again, then those same uh, stereotypes act as significant or statistical data points for the model to uh, use as a basis for their uh, classification. For example, we uh, know that a lot of time uh, content is presented in a manner that uh, 
uh, that technical uh, things or technology is meant only for boys and geeks and females and other minority groups are usually excluded from it. And if we have a lot of, say, web pages that talk about only boys being programmer, then at the end, when we have machine learning models that are trying to, you know, make sense of different words and associate different words. So when the word embeddings, as we say, get trained on these data sets, what happens is that they learn the co-occurrence, the frequency uh, between the term boys and tech, and they associate boys to be more technical uh, than females. Now, this is a stereotype that exists in the real world, and because uh, of their frequent usage in the online world, they get picked by the models that depend on the online data, and then these biases get amplified, and even in some cases become the base for the model to start learning things. For example, in natural language processing, we have word vectors and there have been extensive studies to show that these word vectors are biased. Gender is, as I said, one aspect of it. There are studies that have shown that these word vectors uh, discriminate uh, uh, based on the dialect. So when these vectors are employed in association with speech detection systems, they are able to pick certain dialects better than the other. There has there have been studies that show that uh, certain uh, names that sound to be uh, of Black origin have been associated with uh, negative adjectives and negative sentence uh, sentiments within the word embedding model, and all of uh, these uh, these anti and all of these concepts or all of these biases within the uh, natural language processing systems, within uh, the speech recognition systems, uh, and yes, within uh, say the facial recognition systems, when uh, these uh, individual units are. Uh, employed in uh, detection of harmful content on the web, then all of uh, these biases get trickled down uh, and get amplified in the toxicity and harm detection systems. So I'll take a quick uh, tangent to uh, talk about what we mean by toxicity on the web. Uh, so as I was saying that uh, hateful content has been known to exist for as long as the human history exists. Unfortunately, there is no strict definition of what can be considered hateful, what can be considered uh, toxic, because it uh, depends on the context, it depends on the geography, it depends on the social platform uh, you are talking about, it depends uh, on time. There are certain terms that were once associated uh, to be abusive and offensive, but now have been reclaimed by the very people against whom these words were uh, spoken. So we have a contemporary contextual fe feature associated with detection of toxic content. It is not as objective as trying to detect the presence of cat in an image and no matter what modification you make uh, in terms of like rotating the image, the cat remains a cat. However, it, in uh, NLP, even minor uh, perturbations in changing one word uh, or changing the sentiment of one word can modify the uh, sentence's context completely. And then if you start looking at the nuances of who is talking to whom, who is this, uh, which, 
what community this person represents, what vulnerable group, what marginalized group this person represents, what is the bigger context of this conversation, what was said before, what has been said after. Once you start adding all of uh, these uh, features, you realize that detection of toxic content and even uh, adversarially attacking such content is very difficult and contextual in nature. And it is difficult not just uh, at a computational level, it is difficult even at human level. Uh, say content moderators and annotators were labeling large amount of data and flagging it to be toxic or non-toxic, flagging it to be hateful and hurtful. If they are not aware of the context within which something was said, then it can lead to a produce a production of misclassified labels the data itself can be corrupted by the lack of information on the annotator side in fact even uh, biases on the annotator side say you want to mitigate uh, racial uh, bias in labeling of your uh, hate speech data and you tell the annotator that hey this statement was made by someone from the black community now if the annotator is desensitized they will use this information in the correct context but if the annotator themselves are biased against a particular race say here the black community then they can use this uh, extra information to reinforce that bias and purposely label the data is hateful just because they have prejudice uh, that they want to reinforce so how you present these sensitive attributes to the moderators and annotators is uh, important and it, uh, there is no like uh, golden rule of how such content can be provided so that the context is complete at the same time it doesn't uh, reveal uh, existing prejudice of the people who are looking at such a such content and flagging it and moderating it so uh, but what happens is that when these uh, data sets are labeled for toxicity, when they are uh, labeled for flagged as hateful and non-hateful, and then uh, these data sets are employed uh, in detection systems, we build classification systems, whatever biases that have uh, come uh, in form of uh, annotations and labeling and the data that we collected gets trickled down uh, uh, into the models themselves and then once you start looking at these models from different verticals like how is this model performing when I look at a content that is either written by or written against female let's say how is this model performing if the content that we are analyzing uh, is associated with black community or is it associated with muslims so how is sexism racism islamophobia uh, captured contextually by the model when we start analyzing it at uh, these aspects we start seeing some unintended biases that uh, as i said get trickled down from the source uh, into these uh, different demographics group in fact uh, recent studies have also shown that your political ideology can also be a source of unintended bias for the model. So the use of certain terms and phrases by people of one political orientation versus the other can be used by the model to discriminate and say that one group is more toxic than the other, as I said, in absence of context. 
So coming, but coming back to the demographic groups, which we will be focusing on in, in this talk, we uh, have uh, mainly, I will be discussing about race and gender and the intersection of the two. Now, uh, determining whether a content is posted by a specific demographic group is difficult. Uh, uh, see race, for example, in race, uh, especially in the English uh, literature for natural language processing and toxicity detection, when people have studied race, they have mainly looked at the discrimination against the black community and the dialect uh, which they call, which is uh, termed as the African-American dialect. Now here, uh, the notion is not that one dialect is better than the other, but because of the prevalence of the data that is present online, one dialect gets discriminated against more than the other. And in this case, it is the African-American uh, dialect that uh, receives more discrimination. So uh, what happens is that if a text is posted by someone from the Black community and they are you uh, talking colloquially in the language in which they talk with other members of the community, a third party view of that data set, whether it's a content moderator or a toxic uh, city detection system and, and a computer or a or a software that is looking at this context, this interaction, without the context of this person belonging to Black community, talking to another person from the Black community, just the presence of certain uh, words uh, can be uh, used as, say, uh, marking the content as hateful. So presence of ethnic slurs, presence of uh, keywords, presence uh, of colloquial terms, that could be acceptable within the community, but unacceptable otherwise can be used as a source of uh, bias for the model to use as a discrimination point. And when that happens, the false positive against these communities, uh, for example, the black community in this case, increases. So what happened to the result? If you look at the broader social impact, you are saying that I want to build a model that will detect hate against the black community. But unfortunately, these unintended biases will lead you to detect the content posted by the black community to be more hateful. And when that happens, their content gets flagged more, their content gets taken down uh, more. And uh, as a result, instead of helping the black community you are actually reinforcing the marginalization because uh, you are uh, developing a platform or you are leading towards a platform which uh, is not democratic to pro provide equal opportunity of uh, being uh, of black people being themselves and being able to colloquially communicate their ideas so uh, the result of uh, a presence of unintended bias in toxicity detection is that it starts discriminating against the very community it is supposed to protect the toxicity for. So all the vulnerable target group that we want to help end up becoming victims of the very systems that we deploy. So race, as I said, is one factor. So there was a study uh, by a group of uh, researchers trying to analyze the presence of uh, uh, inf an influence of dialect in uh, toxicity detection system. So they used uh, Twitter data, data set uh, and they mapped it to the US census data set 
to uh, build up approximation of who uh, the speaker is and which uh, community they belong to. So whether they belong to the Black community, whether they have a white orientation dialect, whether they have Hispanic dialect and so on. So they combined the Twitter data, online data and the location feature, as well as the timeline history of the users and mapped it to the census data to approximate which group of people uh, uh, represent what kind of dialect and then they uh, build statistical models to detect the dialect. Now, unfortunately, there are drawbacks to this system, but uh, currently the toxicity detection uh, community uh, largely has uh, uh, used and is dependent on, on this baseline uh, system to uh, detect uh, dialects. Uh, now, one issue uh, with this is that it assumes that all uh, dialects and uh, the words present in all the dialects have equal chance of occurrence. It doesn't take, as I said, it doesn't take into account the context. So it is possible that certain phrases are acceptable in one dialect and not in the other, but the model uh, uh, currently doesn't account for that. Uh, and then there is also an issue of misappropriation. A lot of time people from extremist groups and people who are trollers, they uh, mask their identity of belonging to a certain community and adopting their dialect in order to spread negative uh, uh, feelings and sentiment about the very group. Now, existing systems don't have a way of discriminating and knowing whether this is a person who genuinely belongs to the target community or whether it is someone who is misappropriating. And if uh, such noisy data in terms of misappropriation, in terms of trolling gets added to the system, then our models develop even further bias of uh, what the community is representative of. So directly assuming someone's Twitter bio or location to be a source of their dialect is problematic in nature, but at the same time, it is one of the approximation that is available for us to study uh, discrimination uh, of uh, di uh, dialect-based discrimination within the toxicity detection systems. So when the researchers uh, used this uh, pipeline uh, to determine uh, dialect-based uh, uh, bias, they found that people from the Black community were more likely to have their content flagged based on the dialect being detected as uh, someone belonging to the Black community. Uh, and what the authors did as a means of mitigating it is that they employed uh, generative AI systems. So, for uh, for example, the chat GPT system that we have now, at that time, it was a GPT-3 model. So, they employed the GPT-3 model and they told, uh, they gave sa uh, samples to the models uh, uh, saying that this is a uh, a series of black uh, uh, dialects and these are uh, some statements written in non-black or say the white dialect and uh, please translate and style transfer from one dialect to another. So they took a uh, toxicity detection data set and they marked the dialect on, uh, on uh, this data set using the dialect pipeline that I mentioned earlier. And once they had that, uh, they asked the generative AI to 
translate and style transfer from one dialect to another so that the content remains the same but the way in which it is spoken uh, is slightly modified and then this modified sample was given to a toxicity detection model and the model is asked uh, to classify whether it uh, thinks the content whether it thinks the content is hateful or not and if the model with the transformed dialect is uh, is saying that hey i think that uh, this is non toxic in nature but the same content in in a different dialect is said to be toxic then we can say that hey it looks like the model uh, has a bias towards dialect and it is not focusing on the content and the context but rather using dialect as a dis discriminating feature and once you are able to determine this you can use this corrective pipeline so it is possible that certain black uh, oriented dialects were annotated as uh, hate but uh, you can using this generative ai and style transferring uh, pipeline uh, you can make the correction in the label and augment your data set so that correct augmented information is given to the toxicity detection model and uh, the authors observed that when this simple corrective pipeline was used they were able to reduce the false positive rate for uh, the text being detected as hateful against the black community so this was a simple experiment they ran and this was a simple pipeline they proposed but uh, it highlights that uh, by using these methods we can determine whether the toxicity detection models uh, is actually capturing the hateful context or is it just capturing certain markers of uh, identity and then using them to call out hateful content a uh, uh, certain in fact certain keywords like the presence of the word islam the presence of the word black irrespective of the context in which it is said just the presence of certain keywords and phrases can trigger the model to say that this content is hateful this uh, again goes back to the fact that a lot of content posted against the black community or against muslims is negative in nature and then when our embeddings and our toxicity detection models are trained on that content it uh, reinforces it uh, retains that negative notion and reinforces that uh, bias when it, it is used in the detection systems so as i said uh, uh, using simple corrective pipelines is one way of overcoming it another could be the use of adversarial uh, techniques so in another set of uh, research a group of uh, uh, researchers what they did was they said that okay i have a toxicity detection model and then i have a model that detects dialect i'm going to use this uh, de dialect detection system as a base and i will mark all my samples uh, for the dialect and then the, uh, i will uh, develop a discriminative uh, model so i have one uh, model that is uh, detecting hate and then at the same time the embedding that is used the word embedding or the sentence embedding that is used to detect hate i'm going to send the same embedding to a discriminator and this discriminator will try to predict the protective attribute of uh, of dialect and if it is able to do that it means that the embedding that my model is learning uh, that has markers of uh, dialect and it is uh, using that to predict toxicity so the aim of this uh, adversarial system is to make sure that at the end i am uh, developing uh, 
I am uh, building uh, towards uh, sentence embeddings that are specifically focused on the context so that the classification of uh, the text being hateful is uh, as accurate as possible, while at the same time, the same embedding has as less influence or as less uh, or dialect-based feature as possible so that the discriminator that is supposed to detect dialect performs as uh, worse as possible. And the combination of these two systems was found to again reduce the bias uh, in terms of uh, bias in detecting hateful content against uh, people uh, from the Black community. And as I said, uh, the issue with all of these systems that try to analyze and mitigate uh, bias against uh, uh, racial uh, stereotypes is that they assume that the model that is used in determining the presence of racial slurs and racial ethnicity uh, is accurate, which it is not. It has its own set of flaws and it has its own set of uh, biases that it was built on and uh, again that get uh, trickled down and uh, reinforced. And so one aspect for future direction of uh, studying racial bias is to build better systems of first detecting the presence of certain uh, racial uh, slur and ethnicity while at the same time not using those systems against the very uh, ethnic group that we are trying to study. So developing of uh, such systems uh, require not just like uh, knowledge about uh, about these cultural groups and knowledge about the eth uh, ethical slurs, but also uh, knowledge about the context. Uh, for example, there was a study uh, analyzing hateful content within the drag community, and it observed that for an unintended audience who is not aware of uh, how the people within the drag community communicate with each other, they use a lot of harsh, seemingly harsh and uh, and openly like harsh and abusive terms to actually encourage each other. Now, if a third person is looking at this and they're not aware of how the drag community colloquially communicates, they're going to think that this is an abusive content. So the uh, such similarly such uh, behavior and sensitization of the third person to know that oh okay this is not hateful content or uh, this is just two people having uh, a, a having like a, a conversation with each other and these are just friends uh, pulling each other's leg and if this context is provided they will be able to better detect uh, as I said the uh, ethnic slurs and. Uh, and, uh, and racial dialects. So providing the context, desensitizing the annotator, and then uh, using uh, uh, these uh, systems in combination with desensitized annotator will uh, will be uh, leading towards better detection of uh, dialects and elixirs. Second is we need to combine uh, not just our census-based information and our online information, but also look at other sources of data also involves people from other background, not just statisticians and not just uh, computer scientists, but also people from uh, 
who study uh, race from a social perspective, who study race from a psychological perspective, so that their inputs can also be used in determining whether the quality of the data that has been collected is representative of the community that we uh, want to map to uh, statistically. So all of this is uh, necessary and I hope that in future our group and other research group when they uh, study uh, racial bias in toxicity detection, they are able to account for, uh, for this. Uh, moving on from racial bias to another aspect that I wanted to cover in this session is that of gender bias. Now again, uh, we are well aware of the fact that the word embedding uh, have uh, issues uh, determining uh, feminine and masculine feature. Again, this is an unfortunate situation that majority of the study which uh, tries to look at uh, different aspects of gender bias in uh, word embedding systems in NLP system as well as in toxicity detection system, they assume this binary demarcation of masculine and feminine. We definitely need more fine grain and diverse labels uh, for analyzing gender and sexual orientation based uh, biases and toxicity detection. However, going back to what the existing studies have looked at, when they uh, look at the uh, discrimination between the masculine and the feminine uh, aspects of word embedding with respect to hate speech, they found that uh, feminine uh, uh, abusive slurs uh, like uh, certain words like which were more likely to be uh, associated with hateful content, especially if the gender of the user was known to be female. This was because the word embedding was not looking at the context, but rather focusing on a specific term and associating that to the gender, like the gendered abuse and uh, using that as a uh, um, as a discrimination for uh, classifying the content as hateful. So, uh, what uh, uh, based on this observation, what one group of uh, researchers suggested was that why not we perform uh, data augmentation uh, and gender uh, in terms of gender swapping? So, you if you have a statement that says she is a bitch, you uh, augment that by saying he is a bitch and. Uh, that way you're telling the model that they need to focus on the context of the sentence and not just associate uh, certain gender with certain keywords and use that as, as hateful. Of course, in when you're performing these gender augmentation, you are assuming that the label is already correct and then the that the augmented data will adopt the label of whatever uh, sentence it was uh, augmenting upon. So going back to the previous example, I'm assuming that the statement may uh, including both he and she are non-toxic in nature and this context is uh, given to the model to learn on. However, issue with uh, gender uh, uh, swapping based augmentation techniques, as I said, first, they only look at the binary classification of gender. Second, uh, within uh, uh, within the NLP uh, 
within the field of NLP, uh, uh, certain word swapping may lead to gibberish content. For example, if you have a statement that says she is pregnant, pregnant and expecting to deliver soon, if you replace she with he, you are uh, producing a somewhat uh, uh, factually incorrect uh, statement. So, and and the if the model picks on it, it is actually picking on gibberish information and trying to make sense of that. So it's not that you can blindly do a gender swapping. This needs to be supervised by the human, by a human in the loop to say that, okay, does this swapping make sense in the real world? Does this swapping make sense within the context of hate speech or not? So uh, a blind swapping is not possible. About, uh, sim similarly, uh, when uh, the authors uh, did uh, the uh, swapping of dialects, uh, they assumed that the dialect swapping will not lead to change in context or the context uh, that is uh, now generated, the statement that is now generated is as valid in both the dialects. However, that is uh, not the case. So similarly for gender, not all style transfer will uh, lead to correct factually correct as well as uh, semantically correct statements. So that needs to be analyzed and accounted for. Otherwise, we are feeding the model uh, gibberish and we, are, um, we may in fact reinforce the biases that we wanted to remove. Another way of uh, trying to reduce the presence of unintended bias uh, with respect to gender in toxicity detection models would be to use de-biased word embedding. So a uh, good amount of research has been uh, done and it's still ongoing in the area of de-biasing our word embeddings. So if you assume word embeddings to be vectors uh, in in uh, n dimensional space and you are saying that there is a negative term an abusive term that is associated more with females so it is closer in uh, space vector space to female a female as a, a masculine uh, sorry a feminine and female as a as a axis compared to masculine or male as an axis then the aim of debiasing technique is to bring this term at an equal distance from both both the masculine and the feminine axis and that way you say that the embedding has been debiased because it is now not sensitive to uh, the abusive term being associated more uh, with a particular gender. Uh, now, a similar exercise has been uh, done in terms of like profession. So the famous paper of man is to programmer and women is to nurse or man is to doctor and of a female uh, is to doctor or home uh, sorry female is to nurse or homemaker so you have a professional axis and you have the gender axis and you want the professional axis to be equally distant from uh, both both the genders again here you have to be sensitive about the context and whether certain uh, debiasing makes sense or not but overall if we assume that we have a uh, word embeddings that are that have been debiased uh, with respect to gender we assume that they are more uh that they are are in a sense uh, equivalent to desensitized humans who uh, uh about uh, gender so if we pick use those uh, uh debiased word embeddings in toxicity detection models then we 
obviously observe uh, a reduction uh, in false positive when determining toxic content against uh, females. So simple effective techniques like gender swapping and debiasing or the mitigation or uh, uh, using the, uh, already debiased embedding for mitigation of <laughs> gender bias have been uh, studied uh, in the literature. Uh, then comes the, uh, once you have studied, uh, say, uh, aspects of race and gender, then comes the question of what happens at the intersection of the two. Now, one uh, series, uh, through one series of studies and uh, experiments and research, uh, we have seen that people from Black community are more likely to have their content labeled as toxic. At the same time, you have another series of studies that says that Abusive terms have a higher chance of being associated with uh, as as a feminine attribute uh, than a, a masculine attribute. So you know that content targeted against and generated by women will be more likely to be labeled as uh, toxic. Uh, but when you look at the intersection of the two, when you start uh, looking at uh, race and gender together, then uh, one study found that black male are more likely to have their content labeled as hateful compared to say a black female compared to white male and white female. So it's an interesting uh, finding and it is important to acknowledge uh, that uh, when we look at uh, biases uh, at the intersection of more than two components, then we start seeing uh, these issues. So we we are acknowledging the diversity in the real world, but we are not uh, uh, acknowledging the same diversity when we start uh, looking at biases in our machine learning models and biases in our toxicity detection model. So study at the intersection of uh, more biases is important. It is uh, not uh, that uh, extensively explored so far. So another aspect of intersection bias is not just gender and race, but when you start including geography as a feature, most of the data set within the hate speech community, within the toxicity speed detection community focuses on English text. Uh, and even when you have data set on memes, uh, it is uh, uh, it consists of uh, Western references, Western cultures, and uh, uh, the text within the meme is English. So uh, you are looking at toxicity or even the intersection of race and gender from a Western perspective. How will that look uh, in other geographies is less studied. How that maps or translates from one geography to another is still uh, not that explored. So we need uh, the research community to ask questions as to what will happen when we start looking at the side effects of the data uh, and the toxicity detection models that we have from a non-Western perspective of race, gender, religion, ageism, political orientation, and so on. Uh, and uh, at the intersection of uh, race and gender lies the issue that when you are trying to say uh, de-bias and debug one aspect, uh, how does it impact the other? So this was an interesting observation we made in uh, as a part of our uh, 
uh, survey that uh, there are uh, certain mitigation techniques that uh, propose that instead of using a particular term that is considered hateful, why not replace it with a more generic term? So say you know that the term Islam is constant, Islam and Muslim are constantly labeled as hateful. Why not replace it with generic terms like religion and faith? Uh, so while intuitively it makes sense that yes, if you replace it, uh, uh, this with generic terms, you are going to see a reduction in bias against the word Muslim and Islam. However, what we observe is that the bias doesn't go away. It just shifts. It just moves uh, like energy is neither created nor destroyed. So bias by itself cannot be destroyed. It just moves from one form to another. So what we observe was a shift in bias from the term Islam to the term religion. So if, if you are looking, going back to the case of intersection of gender and race, if you are looking at mitigating, uh, say, racial uh, bias, how does it influence or translate into bias against gender? Does it lead to an increase in the false positive with respect to gender? Does it reduce it? Uh, can the two be, uh, what you can say, uh, uh, can the two aspects be debiased at the same time? So asking these questions is important. And uh, this is one of the open areas of research as to how you look at uh, these side effects together and not just uh, look at one aspect of bias in isolation. Because in isolation, we have identified uh, their presence and we have uh, developed techniques, uh, of course, uh, incomplete and ongoing, but there are techniques of, for mitigation of bias in individual verticals. Now, how do you bring them together is going to be not just interesting, but also important because as I said, that diversity in the real world needs to be acknowledged and accounted for when we are studying bias uh, at uh, toxicity uh, in, in the online uh, world. And, uh, more or less on those lines, uh, I would uh, like to conclude uh, this discussion by saying that uh, there are uh, important questions uh, that still remain open. For example, talking about how to make our study of uh, bias more inclusive and more fine-grained and uh, not just looking at it from a male versus female perspective, but rather a broader spectrum. How do we look at ethnicity as and racial biases, not just black versus white, but also include other ethnic groups and other uh, racial minority in this? And how do we, in the first place, improve the quality and quantity of the data that is representative of these communities in the first place. So yeah, uh, with that, I would like to conclude hoping that uh, some of the discussion that we have had uh, right now will be helpful to future researchers. Uh, at the end, I would just like to uh, remind the research community that uh, when we are talking about uh, black versus white, when we're talking about African-American as a dialect, or when uh, we are using uh, uh, certain uh, slurs or uh, abusive words in our research and in our discussion, it is only meant for the purpose of the discussion and we uh, do not endorse uh, 
any sort of discrimination against any race or gender and i hope that the audience uh, takes that uh, along with them thank you you can reach out to me on twitter i am the underscore the messiah th underscore t h e m e s s i e r you can reach out to me and we can discuss more about uh, the research in the area of hate speech detection on the web, toxicity uh, on the web, uh, mitigation techniques and bias. And uh, uh, do check out the survey that we have uh, collected, reviewing all of all of the methods in analyzing and uh, mitigating uh, bias in toxicity of speech. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash womenwhocode. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.